0: Everybody, we are back. Welcome to another episode of More Than a Title. I'm your host, as usual, Jared Thomas, Chief Revenue Officer at Outside the Box Digital. And you know, I got my brother, my brethren, your favorite CEO's favorite CEO, chatio what's good, baby? We in the
1: building, man. I got on black today. You know, oh,
0: I was just about to bring it up.
1: I, I, before, <laughs> before you can even say something, I got on black today. We magic. I, I am supporting another, 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 uh, Another brand, you know, what I'm saying American Couture. Shout out to Al yep. Karim, you know, brother shout Al, man. Brother Al. Yeah, shout out to brother Al, man. You know, he got his own clothing line, so you know, we always got to support. This always. platform is all about support, so we got on, we got on American Couture by Al Karim.
0: Go get you one. Yep, quick drip check, quick drip check. We got bet on yourself by Outside the Box Digital. You know, if you want more merch from more than a title, please bet on yourself, guys, and please go to the website. We got it. We got it in stock. <laughs> We definitely got it in stock all sizes all All sizes all flavors (laughs) (laughs) but before we begin y'all as always we have a great episode lined up for you guys but before we introduce this brother let's please give a shout out to you guys the listeners the followers the supporters it's because of you guys we're growing and glowing every week across every platform our downloads are up our watch time is up so we truly thank you from the bottom of our heart please make sure you like and subscribe and also, if you like more content, like more than a title, please make sure you download the live podcast network app for more content just like this. And also shout out to our exclusive, exclusive production partners, Real Block Pictures for all great visuals that we got. We got some great in-persons coming up, y'all. So a lot of new visuals, a lot of little looks because we're trying to give y'all, you know, try to improve the show constantly for you guys. But uh um, working. Definitely working, and it's yeah. an early episode too. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. But let's let, let's get into it, man. This this one we have a great episode lined up. This gentleman here is the chief marketing officer at Dream Data, which is a revenue attribution platform that collects, joins, and cleans all data to give insightful value to your business. This brother is a subject matter expert in connecting marketing activities with revenue. He has an growth mindset, is a data-driven by heart, and loves all parts of scaling the commercial side of his business. A notorious growth hacker with successful track record of scaling businesses and building teams at et- Upwork. Irritate. And has and knows the pain points of rapidly scaling marketing and growth firsthand. Let's yeah. introduce the chief marketing officer at Dream Data, Stephen, heading to Brent. How are you, man? Welcome to, the show. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Welcome.
2: Thank you so much, Jared, for that pitch, man. That was, that um, was great.
0: Yes, sir. We, we, we gotta get your air horn, too. Let's get your air
1: horn. I <laughs> just want to say, though, before we jump into it, we're a little disappointed, Stefan. We're a little what's disappointed, up, disappointed up, because up, up. you were here. You were here. <laughs> About two weeks ago, right here at Hot Sauce. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, right there. yeah. We came down <laughs> the Hot Sauce to see you, man. We came what, down. Man? Yeah, man. We, we we tried to surprise you. Me and Jarrett was looking for you. We went. We uh, must have walked, walked in about. Every conference room they had in there, <laughs> so they were talking. So we was about to go, yo, Steve. Hey, we stuff <laughs> is he here. <laughs> we're stuck, Stephanie. Put hand up in the air right now. <laughs> Do you know him?
2: <laughs> I even <laughs> went up the stage with a time slot you guys could yeah. find him. Well, yeah.
0: we, we missed you. We missed the first, <laughs> we missed the first day. Yeah. So we came uh, the second okay. day. That was yeah. the problem. Yeah, we uh, wanted
1: to okay. surprise you though. We did go All to right. hot sauce, mm-hmm. man. We wanted to see you in person, let you know that. Um, we would definitely support something that you were doing, especially if you were in our backyard, you know, you were in the United States in Manhattan, we would have to come support you. So we're a little <laughs> disappointed we didn't get the, you know, link That's up with you in person, but we're glad you're on the show now.
2: Absolutely, and thank you so much for that super awesome, uh, awesome intro. Hope, hopefully, I can give some value back to, to your listeners.
0: No, no, it's going to, I, I can okay. tell, man. You you've got a, a lot of value, brother. We're gonna start class. Classes in session right now. <laughs> first period, y'all. First let's period. period. Let's so let's let, let's start from the top, Stefan. Um, so obviously you're you're from Europe, right? Or you can tell us a little bit about your upbringing, your background, and then we'll we'll kind of segue into to your business.
2: Yeah, like if we we go to that kind of that long slow path, then then I'm from uh, a small town, which is 150,000 people in, uh, in Denmark. Um, wow. Grew up with my mom and dad in a suburb, went to school, went to like university and so forth. Always played a lot of sports during my youth, and played a lot of computer games as well. And I I think both. Things are probably ingrained in me. Kind of, you're you're doing some sort of activity, and you're trying to figure out what's this game? How do I get better at it? Is there any cheat code somewhere that I can rely on to to power up my character or football team or whatever it is?
0: Yeah.
2: And that kind of that that motion of trying to figure out what's the game? How do I improve the game? How do I win that game? I think that has kind of kept with me from whatever I've been doing ever since in my more uh, professional career, like. Whether it's SEO or LinkedIn or paid ads or whatever, it, it's kind of a game, and there's some codes and like things you need to 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 learn to understand and to game them somewhat.
0: Yeah, no, you, that's a that's a. I can see why you're, you're in conversion marketing. <laughs> I can see why it's definitely a game. It's definitely a lot of testing, a lot of A/B testing, a lot of figuring it out. Right, figuring out and knowing your audience. Um. So, but why, why marketing now? I'm curious. Because that could apply to a lot of different uh,
2: industries. It's a good question. I mean, like as many other people, it was kind of a, a, a coincidence. Um, As I was like going to university, it was kind of that cool safe path would be to become a, like a management consultant and, you know, produce yeah. slides yeah. and go travel around to companies. But there was this kind of shift towards the internet becoming more and more cool and you can build a business on the internet. And one thing led to the other, and I found myself as an assistant of one of these entrepreneurs who made a lot of money before the uh, dot com crash. And he then set up like an investment fund where he wanted to like put some money into different kind of entre- entrepreneurs. And I just got put into this uh, this vintage music instrument uh, platform where there's, <laughs> together with the co-founder or the founder of the company, which were a rock musician and a school teacher then i had to kind of figure out hey how do we actually get traffic on the website like we had like mm-hmm. 10,000 uh, gibson les paul and fender stratocasters and all that crap and how do we actually move this up in this google google search engine so when people are searching for these things we pull in that traffic and then help sell that guitar so we like that we divided that like the rock musician he talked to the music shops and then i had to figure out how to get Traffic on the website and get people to convert and to like write to these music shops. And so, very, very like, 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 it's been all kinds of just like one discipline at a time. Like, it started out with SEO, then paid ads, and then PR. And like, how are these mechanics in this particular thing? Yeah,
0: I did this. I was, I was kind of my, my, my journey is, is pretty similar, but I, I do. Before I get into ours, um, mm-hmm. what was the biggest lesson you learned being an assistant for that founder?
2: Oh, there's a, there's a lot. Um, yeah, wait, think, what's one that you? What, would I, call what right? I think, what I took from me, I, I took some tools, which were kind of how does Google work, how does ads work. But I think the most important lesson I learned is that if you don't produce a lot of revenue, you run out of money at, at some point. Like <laughs> you need to be making those uh, subscriptions run, or like you know you have a bank account and that bank account gets smaller and smaller. So you. If you run a business, you need to sell, you need to produce money all the time. And that should be your focus. It's nice if there's other metrics that are going up, but if you're not selling more, you need a really good plan of what are you doing besides uh, selling. And that business ended up running out of money, even though we went from zero to six digit uh, organic traffic from Google every month. Wow. That's it.
0: That was Wow. But how did that happen, though? You said you guys you went from six figures to running out of money. How did that happen?
2: No, oh, so with like we had zero organic visitors on that website initially to more than a hundred thousand visitors every month coming in. Mm-hmm. That traffic then translated into requests on guitars, but we had the uh, the physical shops were putting their instruments on our website. But this is a, this is then twenty. 2008, 2009, so mm-hmm. people had no fucking clue what the value like we would be sending some uh, vintage guitar shops, 5000 visitors a month. We would struggle to get them to pay us $20, $40, $60 or something like that, which is like mm-hmm. when you know what a click on an ad cost nowadays, it's completely stupid that we struggled with it, but we didn't manage to convince people. So we grew the organic traffic greatly. Mm-hmm. Well we were not able to extract money out of the people that were supposed to pay for the pay for these things. So I learned kind of that hard way that you need to you need to get money out of your customers, otherwise you don't have a business long term. Yeah. But it was fun.
0: Was it because of the
2: attribution? because yeah. like like because yeah. just,
0: just for the listeners right so if if if, Steve, if Stefan is doing organic marketing for a guitar shop right he's bringing them 5000 local visitors right now the guitar shop is like out of those 5000 visitors who's actually making a purchase for a vintage guitar and yeah. then, and especially in twenty twenty two thousand eight. 2008 Attribution it was and, and plus even now think about how, how crazy the customer journey is now right you still won't be able to really do a one to one attribution right I might have found the guitar on LinkedIn I might have seen yeah. you on an Instagram post and then I might have went to the site clicked on the ad left come back two weeks later and then finally made the purchase
2: yeah yeah dude. <laughs> in a nutshell I think that's the problem like. Think about people who own vintage (laughs) instrument shops, like people spending too much time on Woodstock or at rock (laughs) concerts. Mm. They're not necessarily too uh, digitally savvy. And I think it just goes to show how many components needs to be just about right for a business really to take off. And I think we managed to actually generate great momentum. But because we didn't manage to explain those people that were supposed to tell us why was this valuable, uh, we didn't succeed. I think today it would be very different because you have the Shopify's, the Magento shops, WooCommerce shops that all work great. But back then this was all kind of personal built websites with like no proper infrastructure. And yeah, (laughs) that was a fail, but we we learned a a ton uh, trying to to go for this.
1: Wow. I mean, would you, would you consider knowing what you know now, just about business in general, right? Um, Mm -hmm. One would say anything with the word vintage. If I hear vintage something, right, the first thing I'm going to think about is niche, mm-hmm. niche market, right? Yeah. Um. There's a lot of businesses out there that is, you know, the market is very small to begin with. Like whether you master it or not, it's you know, it's just not something that's widely uh, spread. So like a vintage good. So first of all, you got to find somebody like you said that's into music that that heavy, right? And then yeah. can appreciate and understand that having this piece of equipment um is either a collector's piece or like a you know a showcase piece or something like that so i would yeah. think that's a very small market if you guys were a, a startup business for you to even venture into initially i mean oh. what 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 was the decision making process and even getting in the market that niche
2: i think uh, i've i think i've grown to love niches actually okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's, there's less noise, but if you think about it, then these collectors, this is 2008, 2009, whenever they were trying to, f- these are collector types that kind of love geeky, like it has to be the the 1972 uh, Gibson Les Paul guitar. Mm-hmm. And if they could only go down to the few local shops on Manhattan, then they would never find these guitars. So it, the the whole thing was trying to, Though it's not the world's largest market, then if we could still aggregate all the the biggest shops and the big, biggest cities in the world, this would create transparency about where does these instruments uh, live. Yeah, and yeah. then um, they would actually be able to find these instruments. Um, it's got. It's kind of. It still annoys me to this day that we we didn't quite manage to to nail it because there was a lot of good momentum there, but
0: yeah, we
2: didn't manage to like. You know, the the value construct was kind of just wrong because we did get a lot of traffic going. We did send a lot of traffic to the websites, but we didn't kind of make the shops understand the, the value of these things. And, you know, at some point, you then run somewhat out of uh, out of money. Yeah, but, but what were the you know, I got to
0: put my sales hat on, Stefan. So if you're selling it, to, if you're selling it to the guitar people, what were the KPIs that they were measuring your success on? You're like, hey, I'm going to do a campaign. For you guys, I'm going to bring you five thousand uh organic visitors they understood that and knew that and they just still didn't want to pay
2: yeah i think we did stuff like where we would take we would say like the average click from a google search ad would cost you one dollar and we send you 500 visitors and you're just paying us 50 dollars but i think it would just very the internet and these shop owners was just very immature in understanding digital uh back then so the fact that they would start to receive more emails in their inbox, they might not necessarily connect or even understand the value of where's this uh, this traffic coming from. I think nowadays there's a lot of smart affiliate systems where you could probably have if you sold a guitar worth twenty thousand dollars and the first time you saw this, this customer were through that platform and we could take a two, three, four percent cut of that and then everything has had been fine. But uh, yeah. yeah, live and learn. Yeah, because th- in my head, I'm thinking that's a
0: simple sale, right? Now, if I can show you proof that out of these 5,000 visitors, one person brought a $10,000 guitar and you're only paying $50, this is a home run. Why wouldn't you do it yeah. three, four, five times
2: a month, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think just the internet was just uh, very... Uh... <laughs> Pretty yeah. much not mature back in 2008. Uh, sure. and, and you think about it, like a, a 60-year-old in 2008. Big <laughs> yeah, up well, yeah. without the internet. So <laughs> yeah. it was a uh, different kind of people that probably the people that are there uh, today.
0: Yeah, because it's funny you say that. Because in two thousand eight or nine, that's when I got into the business. That's when I got, like, maybe a little after, right? But I was selling display advertising, right, to small businesses. So we'd have a network before Google Ads. Google Ads was there, but we had above the fold placement on Google Ads. So we mm. had um, like Meredith Scripts, uh, Universal, all those publications. So think of BET, Home and Garden yeah. Network, um, Better Homes and Gardens, uh, Nick Nick Jr. We had all those placements. So if you're a children's birthday party planner, we're putting your Nick Jr. next to relevant content. Right. Yeah, the only problem. Cool. The only problem was we give you the traffic and it was nice, but they wanted to qualify the traffic. Right? Where's the conversion right. come from? What is this? Yeah, I'm on bt.com, but what does that really mean for my business, Jared? And I'm assuming you kind of had the same thing, <laughs> but we had a higher price point. I'm wondering if the price point made it feel like it wasn't. You know, what I mean, you sent me fifty dollars for five thousand visitors. I'm
2: like, huh? Eh. Yeah, that Lots. might be. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that, but but what what was the um let's leave from there. What happened after that? So the business dissolved. Yeah, it's kind
2: of a, once you look backwards it's kind of connected a lot of it. So <laughs> back then uh, that if you don't know if you remember that book called The 4-Hour Workweek uh yeah. by Tim Ferriss. Yeah. That came out about the the same time and um, I started using uh, he he then recommends different kinds of platforms where you can find people to work for you so you don't have to work yourself. Mm-hmm. One of these platforms were called uh, elance.com. Uh, like it's like a freelancer aggregation platform. Mm-hmm. And then, like during like the next year or two, I started to manage like a workforce of like people in India, people in Europe, people in the the US, all through this kind of platform, using that to kind of like I would have, a, have a, like a lead researcher in uh, in India, and then some people in Europe writing mails and doing customer success work, and then a salesperson in the US. And all of this kind of running uh, on top of this digital platform. So when this, uh, and then I wrote a few blog posts for their website, Elance's website, about how we kind of orchestrated all that. And when they were then opening their first office in uh, in Europe, they asked me whether I wanted to, to join that team and help kind of launch that platform in, in Europe. And after then kind of two and a half years of going at that music platform, that <laughs> Never really paid any greater salary. I thought, like, like just like fuck it. Now I'm gonna take a more like a more normal job and make a better salary for for some years. And ended up there. Um, Elance then merged with Odesk, which then became Upwork, which I think today is still the world's biggest uh, freelancer platform. Um, yeah, so that so ended up there running the the Nordic countries, trying to get businesses here in these parts to, um, to, yeah, to hire more people digital digitally. I was gonna, I was,
0: yeah, I was, yeah, was on mute. I was going to ask you too. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, what's a, uh, when you got there and they merged into Upwork, cause I was going to ask you like, where is, where's this company now? Cause I was thinking Fiverr basically that's it, what it is. It's Fiverr, Upwork, all those other things. Right. Yeah. But when you are at the company early and they merge to another brand, what advice would you give to people who are going through mergers and businesses, In order to successfully successfully go through that
2: i think what like so now i was not in charge of that company but it's like they went for like a middle step where kind of when the merger happened they ran for i don't remember whether it was one or two years where they ran as the company called elance dash odesk and there was two websites live and that was kind of just then doing a presentation hey we're elance odesk and we have this website and we have this website so go sign up and uh let's have fun before that upward brand got introduced so i i would have it's kind of like ripping off the band-aid and i would just have (laughs) in the ideal world and i don't know the practicalities behind but you would have made that switch directly into that upward brand rather than have that intermediate brand name that didn't have any value because you were either user of that plan platform or the other platform and You just spend a lot, a year or two, throttling uh, with this uh, intermediate step. Yeah. So if you're going to merge two brands, decide on what's it going to be called, whether it's just, uh, you know, sunsetting one of those two brands or inventing a complete new brand. Uh, Do that fast rather than spend a year or two contemplating on what's about to happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've been a part of a few different mergers. Right. So the so reason why I asked that, because like you obviously seem like a very smart person, you don't, you've, you've mastered the SEO, you've done that, you're moving into this new brand, you're working with different principles of the business. And then sometimes they merge and bring their own people in. So to get your own thoughts in, to get your own, you know, values, you know, heard from new leadership is very, very effing hard. So I'm going to imagine that's how you kind of got into dream data. <laughs> it was like, yeah, doing my
2: own thing. I think in general you need simple stories that people can remember. Like I've, hmm. in some ways, I think about like kind of a brand or like stories. Uh, it's kind of it's energy that needs to travel and lift. If that energy is just it's elans oh, Otis there's two platforms and this is for this and this is for that, then then the messaging just becomes super hard. What what do you explain your parents that you do like? Like you need to like crystallize what is the messaging that we want to get across because that enables anybody from sales to product to cs to to marketing to become much more effective because you know the story you know if you pitch it a hundred times and it works then it's going to travel a lot easier message (laughs) I i got a question for you though um
1: i've seen a lot of companies do it though i've seen a lot of companies coexist. They will have a, call it a sister company or a counterpart that pretty much really does the exact same thing, right? Um, With a completely different name, completely different logo, right? And you don't even know that both of these companies are owned by the same entity, right? Um, Mm. But what I have seen them do to differentiate themselves a little bit is 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 what price point they'll be at right one company will be at a lower price point to catch the low-hanging fruit and the smaller b2b sales and stuff like that and then the 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 next company will be at a higher price point and try to go after the the mid-level to the higher level um that way I think they do that so that when these companies have these mergers right they don't have to lay so many people off so many people don't yeah. have to lose their job because how do you quantify somebody's value versus somebody else especially if they ha- if they've helped build that company up to what it is today. So if Jarvis has been with a company ten years, and he's been doing his thing, and you've been with your company ten years, and you've been doing your thing, yeah. now that we're merging, right? And you guys like do almost the same thing. What you know? How do you say like, well, he's better. Who do we let go? You know, I think it's a tough call to do that. And then on a yeah. massive scale, you're not doing it for one person. A lot of times when these mergers happen, you were talking okay. an entire yeah, hundreds of people that might lose their job. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think they do that to coexist. What are, you th- what are your thoughts on that? Like, co- I think
2: Charlie, you actually, you coined it quite well. Like right. if you, if there's a possibility to do right. like real differentiation, you can run off on these running right. two different companies. Right. I, th- I do think it makes sense if you're buying somebody who's doing completely the same as you, then that kind of merger and then the risk of some people losing the jobs are more uh, more fair. But if you're acquiring stuff where there's a clear differentiation path, then I think there's this option for people to to keep the job as more uh, valid.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Good. Well,
1: I mean, you know, because you, you see it all the time in movies, right? I mean, like TV shows and movies, like when companies like buy into companies, you know, people go to work and then there's just like a pink slip in their desk. <laughs> like they're locked. Yeah. Like, yeah, we don't, you know, we're going to merge with so-and-so. And, you know, thank you for your service. We don't need you no more. I think, you know, that's. That's, that's very
0: harsh on the... Uh... It, it, it sucks, bro. I've been through three yeah. in my lifetime. Yeah. Wow. Well, three, three different mergers. The first one was at the display advertising company. We had three CEOs in a span of six months, which was <laughs> was difficult. So imagine me being a top seller. It's like, hey, Jared, there's a new guy. Meet Mark. Uh, Mark sits you down. He's like, yo, let's, look, I see you doing sales. This is what we need. But this is our new objective. We're looking to reach these new customers. And this is what I need you to do and execute. Go. Two yeah. weeks, two months later. All right, scrap all of that shit. F the customers you told that to. This is the new objective. Mm. And then in part three, did it again. And there was another company, Scribble Live, I worked at, um, Linkdex actually. So that's where I met Chris in the uh, chat. So we're nice. doing this. We're rocking and rolling. First three months, man, I'm, I'm killing sales. Next thing you know, they're sold to another company mm. um, and they're merged into, um, called you know Scribble Live. And they had basically like six different brands they were trying to merge together at one time. And mm. a lot of people, that people was there at Linkdex that started the brand from the ground up, they even allowed it to be sold, got fired. Right. Mm. Just got fired right off the rip. The, hey, you either want this check or you don't. Get the hell out. And it was very yeah. simple. It was very abrupt. Yeah, but because think about it, right? If Stefan
1: has been working, how long have you been with Dream Data right now, Stefan? we how, how were years?
2: running at like four, four, four and a half years or something Perfect. like that now. Beautiful. You've yeah.
1: been with your team for four and a half years. I've been with my team for four and a half years, right? I'm a CEO, right? What if my company merged with yours, right? And I yeah. took over now the CEO position for your company. I have a way that I like to run things, but you are clearly comfortable with your team. So mm-hmm. you you understand it's almost like an impossible balance because when you bring somebody in yeah, in a in a C suite position, yeah. right? You're saying we're hiring you to do a job because we have faith in your direction of where you're going to take the company. So that means when that that new CEO that took over, Jared, that's his job to that's say, it. well, this was his direction, whether it worked or not. This is my direction. I'm yep. the captain yep. of the boat now. This is the way we're going to do things. But transitioning yep. an entire team to now follow this new leadership can be very difficult. And yep. you can you can lose a lot in in um sales or momentum when yep. people are trying to learn the new
0: system. Yeah. Or messaging. Yeah. Sometimes you're right. messaging people, the sales folks or people on the team just right. don't believe in the vision. Yeah. A lot of CEOs don't don't really articulate the vision properly. And you're just left at a spot where, what well, does it matter? Should I go extra hard for this? And whatever, whatever. Right. Um, and, and it's just difficult. Before we continue, guys, quick commercial break. More than a title mug <laughs> since we talked about sales. No coffee tastes better. <laughs> <laughs> you, you designed it, baby. No, I'm not, I'm not
1: angry at that. I'm just angry at the <laughs> fact that you still have my cup over there at up. your house so i am still stuck uh, with <laughs> oh yeah. where's the hold on if you going to where's the cup with your name on it
0: oh it doesn't allow for coffee
1: that's <laughs> that's too early for those drinks <laughs> <laughs> i thought it was like a thermos cup it's not a thermos cup. it is but i prefer you know okay i got you okay a little,
2: a little,
0: a little i would like tangy. i would like to pick up mine this week, sir if you don't mind so i, can, I got i'll I put you your dream
2: dinner cup chat here then
0: oh there it goes can we get a multi can we get a branded co-branded cup I, i'm not
1: yeah. mad at it but you know when we're, when we're talking about just acquisitions in general we're talking like we're having a business conversation right business yeah. is very difficult right yeah. and then compound what you've already said <laughs> Stefan. you're in a niche business which means not a lot of people specialize in this thing anyway. So now take what we just said and then narrow the field all the way down for the few people that you can actually get that actually know the business, and then try to integrate them.
0: Very yeah. difficult. Very, very,
1: very difficult.
0: difficult. Yeah. Very <laughs> difficult. And but and what happened? And I'm curious because somebody said this to me too, Stefan, mm-hmm. that when the entrepreneurial fire starts burning, there's no way to put it out unless you do it. So you go through this merger. When did the when did the entrepreneurial fire start burning for
2: you and why um that's a good question i, th- I think that I actually even started um at university already kind of had mm. that feeling of the coolest thing you could be would be to be like a serial entrepreneur uh like continuously building new companies but then i think i'm also a little bit uh, scared or conservative by nature so like my my path kind of into it had has been to kind of, yeah, actually I actually worked at three different uh, startup scale-up uh, mm-hmm. companies. And after my last tenure, I kind of I, I felt like I've seen enough to, okay, okay, now I know how to run a business. Mm-hmm. I know how to go from zero to, to one in a, in, a, in a lot of cases. So now I actually dare to, to take the jump. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you've been more... Uh, <laughs> Um uh, happy to take on risks. You might have started earlier than what I did, but I can, like that kind of thing that was probably like a 10 year span from when I finished university, that's probably like just about 10 years from finishing university until starting my own company with my, my two co-founders going through three different kinds of, uh, of startups. Like for the, the music platform, we were two people when I started Upwork work were like f- three, four hundred when I finished and then dreamed No, i sorry, air team where I was, we went from 15 to hundred people. So wow. saw kind of all sorts of this kind of a few people up to a hundred or a couple of hundred. So I felt like, okay, if not now, then when, because now, now I, now I feel like I have the skills needed and I think, you know, you need to find your own path. And like, at that point, I, I felt like, okay, and if I don't take the change now, maybe I'll, I'll never do that. Yeah. But and, but other people like risks better, and then they jump straight from school on to, up in, into to starting a company. And I think, you know, all paths are, are great.
0: Yeah. Much power to those people who start right after college because this shit is hard. This, yeah. shit, this <laughs> shit is difficult to do all of that. And how, So how, can you tell us the story of how you met your co-founders? Because it's very difficult making a tech platform. And, and you being a sales guy, yeah. and SEO, but not. Yeah. I don't know if you're a dev. So how does that work? How did you meet your co-founders? And how did you guys yeah, go no. out building a tech?
2: That's actually a, it's quite a, a cute story, cute story in lack like of better words. So mm-hmm. uh, the company was at before is called uh, Airtame, and we're selling uh, to B2B companies, to yeah. schools, B2B companies. And we're selling this screen sharing device uh, to these schools. And we went from being like 15 to to close to 100 employees and went from spending $0 in ads per month to spending around $100,000 in ads per month. Mm. And in that kind of scale up phase, you go from like the first ten thousand dollars you you put in, you you kind of see the correlation between ad spend and then, hey, we sold something in Iceland because we ran a campaign in Iceland. Okay, simple. But the last 10, 20, 30, 40 thousand you put into the ad spend, you have no clue about <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and is it worth it or or not. And I've always thought that you should be doing marketing to produce revenue for your company. Like Marketing should be an investment in growing your business. So I didn't want to just like throw money out the window. I kind of, even though I was in B2B, I wanted that kind of e-commerce focus that we put money into this campaign and then revenue comes out on the the other side. Mm-hmm. And then I, I just like one day I got an introduction from a local investor saying that, hey, I got these two guys that are starting this platform that is solving this kind of, I, think, I don't know if it's set attribution, but like, they're trying to help companies understand their ad spend or something like that. And um, those two guys, uh, Lars and Ole, which is now my my two co-founders, came uh, actually to pitch me their product uh, at my last company. And because they were just starting out, they only had like a very very ugly prototype and a slideshow. And they, I, but we we gave them our day. That was that was uh, pre GDPR and all that, yep, that stuff. Yep. So we just. Here's all our data. Go have fun with it. And let's see see what happens and what they were actually after a week or two, they came back to us and started saying, hey, these campaigns you ran here, they actually produced revenue six or 12 months later. And these blog posts you wrote here, they are incredibly valuable. And they started to do these connections between the B2B marketing activities we were doing and seeing that revenue outcome from these things, which is, I think, what 99% yeah, 99% yeah. of all B2B marketers struggle with this to explain. Do you have this inherent challenge that the average B2B journey is like 6 or 12 months or something like that? So, Absolutely. when you put in your activity, your money, it's going to take 6 or 12 months before they come back. And Google Analytics, CRM systems, ad platforms, etc. I can't explain this to you. But because I could see these two guys uh, – Mm-hmm. Actually, were able to show me those numbers, though the product was extremely ugly. Yeah. I I knew by heart that this is for real a challenge, that a pain that most people in marketing and B two B marketing in particular must be feeling. So I felt like, okay, <laughs> there's some really smart. Uh, they were the CTO and a CPO uh, of a review platform called TrustPilot. Yeah, it's a consumer facing like it's a review platform. Yeah, your local pizzeria or your local shop or whatever. But they had been kind of leading building that. So I knew by their CV, they must be very smart. When I talked to them, they're very smart. And I knew that that kind of um, the pain that they were addressing was very real as well. Mm -hmm. And then joined with that, that I had always had that feeling that at some point it could be cool to start your own thing. So kind of all these things coming together at the right time made me think that okay, if I joined them, then at least you can't tell me that I'd never t- took the chance of actually trying to, to get something off the ground.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's that's amazing. You know, you know, as, as you're saying that, I don't know if you feel comfortable sharing this, but how do you negotiate getting in the business being that they started it, they have the founder, you have the knowledge and the information. So how did you negotiate you being a founder with them?
2: Uh, that, that, that's a good question. I think they as well as me, uh, saw the, the good team composition that a product guy and an engineering guy, they probably lacked somebody that were a little bit more uh, commercially facing, whether that's yeah, running kind, marketing hey, or yeah. selling. Or, and yeah. on top of that, I kind of represented also that the ideal persona that we're actually still selling to today, which are the B2B marketers, the B2B marketing leaders out there. So we, um, they were actually quite, uh, they were very fair, and they could see that kind of the three of us together made up a better uh, foundation for success than just the two of them uh, alone. It makes sense. Makes but sense. Dude. Still, in any way, it's still a leap of faith uh, that you you need to take, and it could have gone completely fucked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it did turn out the. Uh, it's it's turned out well and we we're <laughs> I think we're still happily uh together there you go four
0: years
1: yeah you know they um I don't know if you've um they actually have been doing more studies more case studies on this and um they put out a lot of information based on just an overall survey of entrepreneurs and when they start within their life and it's looking like the average base time for an entrepreneur to actually not think about the idea because as children and you know, coming up, we all think about a million ideas. Oh, I could think of this, I could think of that, but we don't put yeah. it into play, right? I think yeah. the baseline <laughs> average age, believe it or not, um, is like high 30s, like 38 to 40. I mean, uh, yeah. yeah, when people actually say, Okay, I'm tired of having the ideas, I've, I think it's because you've experienced life so much, yeah, at that point, yeah. right? You've gone through a job or two change your career, maybe done some schooling. You understand? And I think at that maturity level, you have a different understanding of what needs to be done um, because you've been working, you know, we're talking the majority as a worker. So you kind of understand what it would take to be the owner and and run the entire thing. Um, So- I Don't know how old are you, Stefan? You know, I'm be... uh,
2: actually, uh, I just turned 40. It's still you oh, see, so you see, uh, oh, so you see? Oh, yeah, so if you
1: say four years, then if you say four years, then that was roughly 36. So it kind of puts you again yeah. right into that age range, and that's what they were saying, right? Um, yeah. that you need that emotional and, and mental maturity to go through life uh yeah. to a certain extent before you actually press go. So that makes sense. I think
2: sense. it's so true, Chet, it? like, Yeah you go to school and you read some books but you don't really have any skills there it goes you you need to go out and try doing real stuff like and I failed and I've wasted I wasted so much money in my past jobs because I hadn't tried things before so oh that didn't work and that didn't work and that didn't work but after like 10 years in startups I've tried a lot of stuff and then found out a few recipes of stuff that actually work so because i started later then i think that also increased the uh, the likelihood of becoming successful yeah at least let's say as long as you keep on learning in every job you have Mm -hmm. then you're still just continuously putting yourself in a better position for starting on your own at, at some point
0: yeah and i i would even change what you said instead of wasting money you invested in finding the right answer yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, that that's really what. It, if you really look at it, man, you invest in that, and that's what we've done too. Because we're we're a year into business right now, so yeah, we're a successful nice. business now. <clears throat> but like you said, it was us. It was me looking in the B two B space and saying something is off. Yeah. Why is the same messaging the same thing, right? Why Why am I sending a thousand code emails to somebody who doesn't want to take a meeting with me or book an appointment, right? And then when I do get you on the call. You're just kind of taking a pity call. You're not, I'm doing a discovery call. You're not giving me the answer, the information I need yeah. to sell you. You're not in a position to, you might not even be the right person to sign off. You might be just somebody who could hand me off to John and John is as <laughs> hard yeah. as heck to, to talk to. So like, so what was the biggest, what was the biggest um, challenge when you started the business? You met the founders, you're going to market and I'm assuming you guys were in Europe, right? Where you guys were already going to market. Yeah. So especially yeah. the U S market, what was that like bringing the product to here?
2: And what was the biggest,
0: uh, biggest lesson or obstacle you
2: faced? I think the first thing we needed to solve was that we needed to to raise an investment uh, because we'd agreed, all of us had. I had one kid. The the others had two and three kids, and now I have two kids as well. But so we needed salary. So like one, we need to raise some investment so we can pay out some salary, so we can pay for diapers and food, etc. Yeah, so that was the first challenge, and we managed to raise. Um, some money from something called Seed Camp in London, which is kind of the elite pre-seed uh, investment uh, you can get in, in Europe. Okay. And then, OK, okay, check that off. And then the next thing is like, it's kind of a, like then I knew our product was great, but all the knowledge was just inside the brain of my my two co-founders. So I had to interview them and try to translate whatever technical crap they were saying into stuff that, that other people could actually understand. Yeah. So that process of the product marketing thing where you explain what the technology is, but also why it's valuable also took a long time before that. <laughs> actually, that was a website where you can go to. Uh, and once the website was solved, then I actually exper- experienced the exact same thing as you, Jared, that I, I feel so unscalable doing like one on one outbounding when I know I'm a marketer. I can find 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 people that are all of the right sort that I can give one message instead of me pitching one by one by one by one. There it goes. And initially, we listened or I listened too much to the local uh, venture capital companies here that say, hey, you're in B2B, so you should do outbound. I had no skills in outbound, but because we we're just starting out, you listen. So you take too much advice from. Other people rather than just owning your your what what I already knew I was good at. So I had like the first six or twelve months I was like juggling between listening to these VCs saying, "Hey, proper seed like uh, venture capital companies they do outbound," but that was not my skill set, and I felt it was so ineffective. Mm. And once we switched to just focusing on an inbound model where we you know did marketing presence on LinkedIn community building sending like emails to forums of geeks of online marketing etc yeah. then all of it took off because we knew how to do marketing we didn't know how to do uh, this one-on--one outbound
0: that's that's amazing and, and it was the vc you said that was that was pressing for you guys to do outbound
2: yeah and that- exactly then, then they would have like portfolio companies of like where they would have like thirty outbounders just sitting and calling and like spam messaging people, and it just it felt so wrong to me.
0: Oh, absolutely. My 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 thing was when I was selling was, all right, I send a hundred emails out, right? I get that one I get that one meeting out of those hundred emails. What about the ninety nine other people that think I'm an asshole
2: and hate our brand? <laughs> and also, and- then sitting in a, in a meeting you booked outbound feels where you still have to continue to sell. Whereas if if you've generated the demand yourself by them following you for three or six months on on LinkedIn, then they come educated to that sales call and they will ask you questions and they know who you are and, hey, you were in New York last week. And and that that sales conversation is just a lot more nice than where you've just pushed through that one uh, outbound meeting.
0: Message!
2: Message. You about to say something, bro?
1: No, you know, I mean my thing is we we've had this conversation before it it's what the system was stefan yeah if if Mm -hmm. you don't if if one thing works and it's been proven to work to whatever level then obviously people are going to use that system until somebody comes along and says here's a better way to do things yeah you know what i mean so i think that by you once again, you had to experience it, right? So when you open up Dream Data, you're like, we're not doing one thing, we're not going to do is do that. You, you, yeah. see, but you, you had to experience it, right? Same thing with Jared. Jared went through the cold caller. So when he wanted to open up his own company, you know, the first thing he said, we're not doing that. We're not making cold mm-hmm. calls. Like, I don't want to be that. Again, that's what comes along with the experience of being the worker first, experiencing the system. You learn the do's and the don'ts. It's almost really beneficial to you to go that route first. You know why? Not being funny, but if you fuck up, it's on somebody else's. Dime. <laughs> yeah. If you fuck up, it's on somebody else's dime anyway. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, you know, it's not a, you're not wasting a lot of your money because you're a worker. You don't. You only yeah. have to worry about this much instead of the yeah. entire building. You know what yeah. I mean? So you can kind of learn the mistakes, make some mistakes yourself, see what the system is, see what the flaws in the system are, and then when you come up with a solution to fix that problem. That's when you create your own business because what what is business really, right? Providing a service to a customer that they don't have or that they need, right? Or fixing a problem that they have. That's the nature of business itself.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I, I'm a I'm a challenger too, man. I think people know that the outbound system is bullshit. Right. I just don't think people actually calculated the numbers. I can't. It, I find it hard to believe that I was a 22 year old going into a, a sweatshop that's basically all nothing but cold calls, and I'm looking at a hundred people across the room and seeing 20, 30 people not closing a deal for the day, and thinking, "Whoa, that's a waste of effing money." Mm. Right, like I, I know, yeah. I could have been the only person thinking. That. I just think they just like, hey, well, that's the only way we know how to, instead of coming out with yeah. an outside the box solution, versus yeah. what we're doing now, like with the social selling and things like that. So, so you you you're in market now. You're in the U.S. The VCs are telling you to do outbound. You said, no, I'm not doing outbound. We're gonna build community. We're gonna we're gonna create content that brings our customers to us. Yeah. What, what what was the step like? What was the what was the coolest moment? when you came to market, right? What was like the moment is like, holy shit, this is working for us, right? And how do we double down?
2: I think there's probably, um, that I can give you three examples of stuff that really worked, but I think you just nailed a super important uh, marketing lesson there, Jared, of just doubling down on whatever the fuck works. Like too many marketers are just slaves of trying to, I need to try this, I need to try this, I need to try this, I need to try this. this." (laughs) But what the, you need to find stuff that works, and then you need to keep drilling just on this thing to extract more and more value out of it, because that's what's going to pay for all the other experiments. So yeah. when you find something that works, double, triple, 10x, whatever, that one thing, before you move on to all sorts of other new ideas that could be fun or could work at some point. But, yeah, I promise you three examples of stuff that, that that like, tangibly worked. Um, the first thing I can remember is uh, there's this website called growthhackers.com. Okay. Which used to have, like, a digest of the week of the best uh, community contributions. So that, like, put in your growth recipe here, and then people could upvote it. And then if it would do the top five, it would be sent onwards to like a newsletter list of 100,000 uh, growth hacker interested people. Wow. So I took one of these, uh, like I interviewed my like my CTO and like, what is it actually that we're building and like give me the recipe exactly of how we're building our product and then I put that recipe up on this community and that uh, that post, I think it went best of the week or something like that. And that completely filled uh, the demo booking uh, calendar. And I hit, instead of speaking to one person by one person by one person, I wrote a great blog post. I submitted to a community of like people that are just interested in growth hacking. And then we managed to get that post as, as one of the best of the week. And then we got to a lot more people building the brand and we got demo bookings in there. Mm. so that was kind of that that was one thing where i realized yes we can go the marketing route here instead of going that that outbound yeah route. i just need to find really good communities then i need to contribute to these communities i need to give value so they come and look who are we and what is it that we we do as well message that's another one. That's a gem right there. You know, and that was a message. That's so funny. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll do two two more tactics, and then I'll uh, explain like uh, an another infliction point for us. Okay. Um, social selling has been huge for us as well. Um, I think we started like very frequently posting on LinkedIn uh, two and a half years ago, mm. and we. Mm. Uh, the 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 reason why we 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 kind of be discussing loosely in the team, hey, let's try and post on LinkedIn, etc. But never really felt like it was working. And then Laura, my colleague, did one uh, one post where I think she did hashtag uh, attribution. Mm-hmm. And then there's this like B two B influencer called uh, Chris Walker. He said <laughs> that there's a comment field of of her post, and she had like two, three, four thousand followers. So with it was no reach from from her, but when he stepped in there in that comment field, because he had that narrative going, that like fuck attribution, etc. Et yeah, dark social. He brought in kind of his uh, his whole army of posts, paying attention to that that one post because he he probably just been monitoring that that hashtag, and her post reached like suddenly it reached fifty thousand people, and you can just see the engagement blew up because that guy opened the floodgates yeah. uh, to that post. And without uh, doing anything else, that day was the day we had the most uh, demo bookings and the most visitors on the website. Even though Laura's post would not have a direct link uh, to our website, and because I've been had been in marketing that much, <laughs> the, yeah. like, but I, you start to smell blood, and you can see like kind of okay, here's yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, this here's is it. something we need to need to pay attention to. And like from there on, we we made it like it was at the end of Q1, and then Q2 we then started like let's do like a team goal of getting to just three hundred thousand views of our post. We ended up hitting that at like five hundred and fifty thousand views of our post. We were like just five six people posting or something like that. Wow! And ever since then, we've just seen that this is a fantastic way to g- generate awareness about who you are and what your company do, etc. and It's it's really been the main driver of awareness for 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 our company now. LinkedIn is so
0: underutilized
2: and untapped, man.
0: First of all, shout out to Chris Walker, that's my guy. He's actually I don't know I don't know if you saw it on the intro before we played it. He's actually on our intro.
2: Nice. (laughs) Like if any, he's the he's the master of. uh, If not you, Jared, it's Chris who's the master of posting on LinkedIn.
0: No, no, he 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 got me started.
2: Yeah. So awesome. him
0: it, it would be him Chris Madison. I need to do a,
2: a new shout, need to do a shout out for Gary Wayneer as well which i have been following the last yep. 12 15 years or something like that. Yay, I think man. it was Gary, and then Chris and then now it's going to be Jared.
0: Yeah, yeah. No yeah. It, it, it was it was Chris for sure for me man. It was just I and Gong, I'm not going to lie Gong.
2: Gong made it important
0: to me. So I'm looking at them from a, a team perspective. It's like, wow, even the effing janitor has a personal brand like the SDRs. Udi has one, the salesperson. Then they had um Devin, you know, who we had on chat. They had Devin at the team. So I'm looking at them and they're all doing hundreds of thousands of impressions. And I'm only thinking to myself, damn, what what is the actual, What how is that impacting the revenue? yeah they look happy they're smiling everybody I could, I could imagine sales is easy and i'm sitting there trying to grade thousands of pieces of content to get one fucking meeting <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean but it worked mm-hmm. for us and so for anyone listening linkedin is still untapped y'all mm-hmm. still content deficient platform people aren't posting there's a lot of stuff that reason but if you just hone down on your niche hone down on your message for three to six months and what we call mm-hmm. it stefan is the linkedin bug this is what we teach is that yeah. one post like you acknowledge that you realize yeah. that the visibility and the reach is far greater than other platforms that you're on. And so you yeah. double down on that network. So if you yeah. guys want to know more about that, we've got courses. We've got all that. If you want to bet on yourself, man, let us know. Step in yeah. and Jay, we're doing courses, baby. We go to brands and we teach this.
2: Yeah, It's cool. so, so powerful. And like it's it's crazy to think about there, this place on the internet where it's a catalog of exactly the people you want to reach. Yeah, you can connect with a hundred of them every week. There's going to be a conversion rate. One out of three is going to say yes to be connected with you, and you can then continuously just pump out great content right in their face. Yeah, they'll just consume and consume and consume, and one day they'll show up at your doorstep.
0: Do, do you use do you use a tool or anything to track your marketing in LinkedIn? So we used to use something called Lead Chat. You ever heard of
2: yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, I have, yeah. So so, we, uh, the uh, we anything any traffic that arrives to our website from LinkedIn, we we can do great uh, attribution to. But I think uh, okay, it is kind of this. How did you just say it? It's more kind of audience or community development metrics you should be caring about on LinkedIn because it's you're gonna. Well, you' either way you're most likely only gonna be able of this organic to attribute the the tip of the iceberg yeah so so don't stress too much about it. when you've had that experience as, as Laura had with that one post you just see okay mm-hmm. I don't have to worry too much about attributing because if I can just see I'm connecting with the right people, the reach is blowing up, the engagement is blowing up then it's worth spending my time on on, on this thing.
1: Yeah, there it goes. There it goes. Yeah, you um my thing is, and I know y'all breezed past it, um, but I you know, I like to always backtrack um community, man. You said it, and I think we have to really emphasize it's not just about posting. Yeah, I'm telling you that right now. It's not that's not what that that's not what makes people connect with you. Like you said, Stephen. you're watching people, right? You're consuming it, but that's not just because they're posting. It's because you believe in their posts, right? And you believe in their story and the things that they're saying to you resonates with you. So now you mm-hmm. become part of their community. You know what I mean? And what that does is one, it, it, it'll lock you into the person, but... Too, like you said, it makes you more susceptible now to if they offer something to be like, oh, let me hear it out at least. Right. And, and you know, let me hear what you got. Or maybe let me throw an idea by you. Let's work together. It breaks that cold core barrier
2: completely down. Yeah. It agree, it It's like treating people well. Like if somebody does you a favor, make sure you DM them and say say thank you or yeah. like ship them some merch or like buy them a beer or a coffee yeah. uh, like we we do like you guys we, we do weekly linkedin lives as well where we try to bring in experts and talk with them and we keep it completely open so anybody who wants to learn from these experts they can just just consume their knowledge and we're not asking for anything in return besides them you know connecting and we you know, follow each other and that, that that's it Sometimes I think we're probably almost too soft in our conversion focus, but we just try like the the Gary. We uh, give, give, give. Like, uh, give, give, give. They'll they'll come back to you. Come teach people how to fish.
0: They'll learn you sell fishing poles. Yeah, that that goes back to that man. And and you said there was a third one too. Because I'm sorry, I didn't want to cut you. I got excited Um, with the LinkedIn stuff.
2: Yeah, let's. uh, Okay, so there's another tactic. I'll skip that. I think what the most important inflection point for us was is really to. Widely define what is our ideal customer profile for our company. Like, who are we deliberately trying to sell to? Yeah. Who are we not for? Like, and actually, it's it's easier to start out with an entity thesis to kind of who are we selling to. So, write down all the people you are not selling to, so that your team knows, your product team knows who we're we building product for. The marketing needs need, needs to know who are we trying to attract. The sales team needs to know who are we trying to to sell to. So all those different teams, they all somewhat move in the same direction because you have agreed this is our ideal customer profile. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And my question, because with ideal customer profile, I think it's much easier when you're scaling the business because you have the data to reflect who is our ideal customer, why they bought from us, why we lost from XY competitor, right? How did you identify your ideal customer profile when it was just you and
2: the co-founders? So we, uh, we I think we we've I think when you're like uh, we're in software subscri- uh, su- subscription software so we mm-hmm. thought a lot about who's most likely to become so happy that they will renew their contracts mm-hmm. because that investors get so mad if they see churn in there in your numbers. So yeah so we thought a lot about who can we sell to that is gonna be really happy and is willing to pay a lot of money and will renew their contracts For us that was uh, B2B software companies, like we help companies understand their customer journeys and we connect their activities to revenue and brick and mortar companies don't generate a lot of data. So the likelihood of them becoming happy customers afterwards is not large, Mm -hmm. but B2B software companies, they do digital marketing, they do inside sales and they deliver their product digitally as well. So we would have that kind of full customer journey. We will have like, digital touches all along that customer journey so we basically said to ourselves like these are the more the companies in the world that is most likely to become the most happy about our product and we've continued on like focusing on them uh, ever since but it also helps kind of that whole your who should you spend your 100 connects with on a uh, per week on linkedin well Spend it on exactly that audience that you want to be be building. So whenever you put out your messaging, whenever you put out new product, it's going to resonate with these people because you have you have actively decided <laughs> these are the ones we sell to. And this also means sometimes not selling to people who show up at your doorstep saying, hey, can I buy your product? That's which so- which uh, it can be painful sometimes if you need to to That's- make rent and so forth. That's- Message!
0: I'll I, I try to let you get the last sentence, but I don't. Oh, man. Gets a double.
2: <laughs> don't you don't have to sell because the other person touched them. Yeah, if you know people are not gonna be happy with your product, or you're gonna spend a million resources on them, and you're still not gonna be able to make them happen, just don't take them on as customers. Hmm. Do Do you have an example you don't mind sharing of maybe how that happened and how that
0: impacted the business?
2: So we we signed some early on. We signed some really large B two B or like hardware companies that are selling through like distribution channels. Uh-huh. So they would be like imagine they sell their product through a distributor, and the dis- dis- distributor wouldn't tell necessarily tell you who's the end user of the product. Uh. And for us, we could sign big contracts with these companies, but for our product that aims to s- explain how does this company end up at the right account at at which person we couldn't prove that because they have completely horrible data to show this but it's like oh there's a big contract here and it's an esteemed brand so let's take the chance and then you end up investing a lot of product resources in them just to see that a year down the line they're not going to renew their their contract so like think about who's going to be coming uh be becoming a happy customer before you sign the contract like you guys at the uh, OTB you're living off your name as well. And if you fuck up, it's uh, it's gonna haunt your reputation at, at some point.
1: Yeah, lying. yeah, but I you know, I think that's extremely difficult, almost impossible sometimes to do, right? Um companies can pivot mid mid midstream. And go a whole different direction without warning you understand what right. i'm saying um again uh restructuring changes data analytics you, you're getting in you don't like the numbers um you know where business is always a numbers game so yeah you can you can predict and say this company is very likely to sign with us again
2: yeah, right
1: Yeah. but somewhere down that line they can do an internal revenue uh internal audit yeah. Yeah. and say This is just not working for us. Like, it's working, but it's not getting us to where we need to get to. So what do we do? Yes, we already paid for the services. Do we continue to go down the path and put more resources and money into it, knowing Mm. now that it's not going to give us what we want? Or do we just, you know, kind of cut where we are and start fresh? Um, yeah. but,
0: thing, like, I was, was going to say, but that's why it was so important for you to get out of that situation because you didn't have a one-to-one relationship with the customer. It's like what we do, bro, is like we, we're, we're doing the, the editing for the podcast and things like that. We give it to our client. He white labels our service, then he gives it to the actual client. We don't have no say there, right? Now, all of our whole sales process is dependent on somebody else, and that's what it was with the distributor, right?
2: Yeah. Another like challenge we've had has been when we were selling to smaller company companies like 30 or 50 people we would only have like one internal champion at that customer. And then if they changed jobs or got fired, we would be, yep. damn, it's, it's all over. And now, yeah. So yep. now we've also moved. That has kind of steered our definition of an ideal customer to be like, has to be above 100 employees. So we'd at least have like two, three, four, five users of our platform rather than just having that one single one. Yeah. You should that the definition of an ideal customer should be dynamic as well. And as as you say, Chadio, as you learn stuff, just kind of that definition of what is an ideal customer now.
1: But look, but look what you did. Look what you did. Technically, a small business is not a business with 100 employees. I'm just telling you that right off the bat. That is not the definition <laughs> of a small business. So, what you did very quickly was say, you know what? Small businesses below this threshold, we don't want to deal with. We only want to deal with the mid-tier now going into the higher tier, which yeah. makes sense for your business model, right? But then now when I say like now, if you if you think about acquiring another company, right, or something like that, now you can give that business to the other company and they can handle the lower because it's still the same market. Why give yeah. the market away? You understand <laughs> what I'm saying, right? why give why give the market away, right? Because, like you said, if we're gonna both be doing the same exact thing, somebody's gonna get that money, right? so but if your side of the company's like we want to focus here, now your option is either give the money away totally, right, or let these guys handle it as almost like a separate entity when you own them also
2: mm, yeah, can't wait to us having enough dough to go out now <laughs> <laughs> i'm just I'm just saying right. Um, you know, I'm, yeah, just, yeah, I'm,
1: I'm just thinking about it because look, great, a great example of that is car manufacturers, right? You have yeah. low-level car manufacturers who also have a luxury brand, right? Toyota is the low level, Lexus is their luxury brand, Honda's the low level, Acura is their luxury brand, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, right. Ford yeah. and Lincoln, right? So that's exactly what they're doing, right? One company says we want this market here but we don't want to give up that money over there. So with this <laughs> brand, right? So with this brand this label Lexus, where our car started, you know, 40, 50,000 go to 100,000. But with the Toyota line, you can get a $15,000 car. It's still a car, right? Cuz everybody needs a car, right? Or, you know, most people yeah. need a car. But it's just a lower level where we we're not totally giving up uh that market share. We'll work with them. Yeah. <laughs> OTV. No, 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 no. I'm joking with you. No, no, no. The, re- the reason yeah. I say it, because, because the economic state of the world constantly changes, right? And yeah. I'm just going to say this to you, right? Um, A rule of thumb is never give anything up. If you give it up, you never get it back. So a yeah. lot of companies have actually um, went bankrupt because they've given up a certain portion of that market share because they didn't think it was profitable and they chased the higher the higher value right and then when somebody else came in and and snatched that part of the market share now they're like oh now that we got it you can't get it back you 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 understand what i'm saying so when it comes yeah so when it comes to like um and and again like i you know uh we do i do i'm a construction worker by trade right we've done it we're union we come in at a certain level union wise but guess what there's a lot of non-union work and you know what they say? We can't afford union wages. So what are we going to do? Give up the entire market share and get no work. Or what we did was we created a separate rate, what we call a B rate or even a C rate. And we say, yeah. you still can do it, union. We'll give you an agreement just for that project. We'll lower the numbers down and we'll still obtain the market share.
2: Man. Smart. You know what
1: I mean? So it's just like, you know, it's, it's it's just about trying to um I think really diversify your portfolio as a company, not put all your eggs into one basket. Um you know, just in case because yeah. there's a lot of times that things happen like COVID, right? That nobody expected to happen that can yeah. technically completely kill your market share. And then mm-hmm. if if you have nothing else to rely on other than that, now what happens to your company?
0: It's gonna be trouble. Is reason
1: gonna be trouble? <laughs> so that, that's, that's, the only, that's the only reason I brought that up. You know what I mean? I think what you guys are doing is uh I think you you have a niche, right? Like I said, but because it's a niche, take all of the niche. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, don't just take the top part of the niche, take the bottom too, because you already said it yourself. Not yeah. that two people do it. Yeah, and once you've gotten good at doing it, because now you guys have a formula, now you guys know how to do it right.
0: Yeah,
1: you don't it's not recreating the wheel no more, it's just letting somebody else just use the wheel at this level.
0: But but the beauty of what you guys do is the attribution is always going to be needed, there's always going to be yeah. a need to provide ROI or show ROI for marketing dollars going out. Man, yeah. that's the big thing. Yeah. Every nobody knows what they're spending, nobody knows what's going on. Like, so back yeah. in the 08, like his company had been great for us because I was selling. Ads like hotcakes. I was selling fifty thousand, hundred thousand dollar ads, right? <laughs> selling them like hotcakes. The only problem was they didn't have any attribution. You got a hundred thousand yeah. views, you pay fifty thousand dollars, then what the hell actually happened? And they were burning money. That was the wild, wild west, bro. We was making yeah. money hand over fist. Yeah. And your company is going to the larger company and saying, Look, if you're gonna invest fifty thousand dollars with this platform or this programmatic tool, this is what happened with the customer journey, right? Yeah. So, like you know, so it's it's always gonna be needed, man. And I do you guys do affiliates good, and man.
2: stuff too? Uh, not that many, actually. Uh, we we get a lot of ad, uh, like agencies coming to us every month because mm-hmm. they understand the problem and they. We try to get them to resell the product, but it's not not really in a structured fashion. Makes sense.
1: But how but how mobile is the product, Stefan? Because look, Jared yeah. is an influencer, right? One of his biggest conversations is the ROI from somebody coming. To invest Mm -hmm. in him to either make a post or support a post, and him saying, "Okay, this is the attribution I'm getting. These the followers. These are the connections. This the outreach, and them understanding in their terms what the ROI is to that. Is that not is that not the the stasis of what
0: influences go through right now? Yeah. Do you do it for individual influences? That's something how you're going to scale to now. Uh, Now I'm thinking about it because that's something I had with with Hootsuite. (laughs) So when I was working at Hootsuite, right, I was. Doing a couple million impressions, right? They would post me, I'd post myself. But the problem was when people who like my shit and they go to the HootSuite website and they're looking for recruiting, jobs, new demos, right? I'm on the account management team, so I wouldn't get those new demo requests, right? So I could improve the ROI, the attribution for that, but I knew it was value and they knew it was value. So do you guys do something that is that where you're scaling towards? Because I think that could be really fucking valuable. You gotta be big. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, like, so we're st- there's rumors of uh, LinkedIn having a, an organic API that you can uh, you can plug into. so we yeah. right now we only extract yeah. the data from the the ads that you engage with. but mm-hmm. if we could get that you engage, actually organically socially engaged with that dude from this company as part of their customer journey become becoming be towards them buying your product, then we can, uh, we can really start to extremely attribute to the value of uh, of LinkedIn for sure. I, I would love that. And, and, but wouldn't that be a good pitch for LinkedIn? You could
0: just say, hey, look, I'm going to LinkedIn. I need a conversation with the revenue yeah. intelligence team. And look, I want to be able to prove that your guys' network is actually driving ROI to these yeah. brands. right? And if you show that, they're going to stay on LinkedIn. Now you, you put a hold on the market.
2: Yeah, no we're actually we're an official marketing partner of linkedin so we're their their reps recommend our tool as as there a way to understand the the, the value of uh, of linkedin's ads and we have a great uh, collaboration with them
0: love that man wait, if you wait, if you need a, 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 a guinea pig for
1: <laughs> the linkedin stuff I think it's dope that they already Stefan, we might have given you the golden goose right here
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm him the goose, you already have the relationship, which you do, you're already yeah. a partner, right? It's yeah. not cold call, it's you calling whoever your connection is and saying, yeah. Let me just shoot this idea by you, even if it doesn't happen, you know, today. You know, what I'm saying, like, you know, sometimes ideas take the time to develop. If you start the process of at least having the conversation, I think. Um, by the time you maybe because you might have to develop a certain software or something right to do this now in the way that you want it to do. Yeah. So that take time. But I think if you start the conversation early and let them know that there's even a possibility to do that, because one of LinkedIn's biggest things is keeping people on platform.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. 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 Keeping
1: people on platform. So if you can do that and then uh-huh. you can show, not only can I do it. But we can show you the exact conversion rates of when they leave, who they're leaving to, and why they're leaving.
0: That's a yeah. gold mine. Also, but it goes back to your point what you were saying about Wade, bro. Remember, we had so we had Wade Empire. I don't know if you're familiar with him, Stephan, but he's one of the no, biggest influencers God. on LinkedIn and Instagram and TikTok. He has millions of followers, right? So we had him on, but a big problem is knowing your worth as an influencer. If you have a million followers, right? What is that price point? How do you mm. set what is the bar? What is the bar for a nano? What is the bar for a yeah. macro or micro? And it only should yeah. be based on what are the actions of the users that you're engaging with, right? Yeah. And if you have that, I'm telling you, that that's where it is. is. I'm Because t- we don't know. There's no transparency, right? Wade isn't going to tell me his price. But if I can say, I got this amount of engagement from this amount of people and it actually yeah, drove man. these X amount of sales, my price should actually be this and maybe have an AI to say what that price should actually be. <laughs> you know why?
1: Because... Stephan already said it. Think about his previous campaign when they attributed how many people went to the store, how much they were charging per yeah. person, et cetera. If you have a model, you can run with a working model. Even if you tweak it later, you can say, okay, every like um YouTube does, right? Or TikTok, you need a certain amount of subscribers to get paid yeah, a certain yeah. amount. Then yeah. what's, the, what's the difference than doing that for LinkedIn? You can do the same exact thing and say, hey, yeah. with engagement, um, a certain amount of accounts reached. Equals this amount of dollar sign. Start with something. Have people give their input. And then build the, the standard from there.
0: The problem is. Right. Not a lot of ads on LinkedIn. Huh? Not much as YouTube to do a one-to-one. Where it's a creator fund created.
1: Mm. That's but the problem. You think about the ad. What kind of ad are we talking about? Because anybody can create an
0: ad. Yeah, no, no. But I'm saying like the B2B ads. A lot of business. ads. Yeah, you B2B know B2B. what I'm saying? So like right. you go on LinkedIn, right? Like the thing with YouTube. You're going to see dominoes. You're going right. to see, right. you know. Any car platform, whatever it is, right? There's an right. abundance of, of advertisers versus right. you're not going to see Nordstrom on LinkedIn. Right.
1: No commercials and stuff. No I B2C, I is right.
0: very, which is stupid. Right. They should be there, right? So you're not going to be having that. It's going to be right. Dream Data trying to create a, a ad. They're going to boost it out. They're going to try to get their car conversion. They're going to gate, whatever. They're going to do their marketing. Stuff. Right. Right. So that's gonna be the problem, right? So it's not enough ad dollars and revenue there to justify the creator platform, especially when organic is going out the window. We know organic but, is better. But
1: let me just ask you this. What, what do we always talk about? If we if 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 we sat down and said we're gonna come up with an ad or whatever, right? We uh-huh. put a clickable link, we put a clickable, trackable link in the ad or whatever. People do that right now every day. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, and you're we, right. When we send it out, and a lot of the times, what do you say? How do we know how many people? went to whatever based on that click or if they use the click they go to the website or wherever we want them to go what if they don't buy in the moment what if like you said they leave and come back a week later and then buy or forward it
0: is it trackable right yeah. and that's what you're that's what you're that's what dream data helps with
1: right and that's
0: what i'm saying so i mean technically people are doing that right now no but not not on the micro influencer level gotcha. you know it's it's very broad but if you can say it individually for me and the problem is with those links right and you tell me i would love your your, your opinion Stefan. Mm-hmm. links don't work well
2: on linkedin so no, I, could... I, think the, uh, I think the algorithm deliberately shuts down the reach when you put in uh, mm-hmm. it's super annoying so you got to put it in the comments
0: and that's the bullshit so it's yeah. like so it's like, you know, I can get the reach of 50,000 impressions and then I can put it in the comment. But are you actually gonna click on it? And will it will it affect my reach? Because we want to keep people on platform. So I really can't even do attribution one-on-one from a platform like LinkedIn. They mm. gotta fix that. But once again, <laughs> their thing is I want to keep people on platform because we don't have an abundance of ads that we can, you know what I mean? So we yeah, can't I think compete. That's
2: why they they limit the the reach of those. I think this is a great conversation
1: that we need to continue. You know, Steph, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to put you in a, we sure to ship
2: you some champagnes. If we ever actually.
1: You say champagne. I need a, a, a dream data, a uh, champagne flute or something like that. So when I drink it, they can see it on the glass or something like that. You know what yeah. I mean? No, I really think this, that would be a good lane for you guys. I really do, man. um You have the infrastructure to make it happen. You have the relationship to make it happen. Yeah. I just think the conversation
0: needs to be started. That's it. Yep. Now, and bringing that, in, and you roll that out to your influence, roll it out to Chris Walker, roll it out to myself, yeah. roll yeah. it out to other influencers, so we could actually have that. Like the only analytics we have on LinkedIn is Shield, and I'm pretty sure you use it, Stephen. You Shield?
2: Uh, I have have done. I don't use it. I think actually the uh, the the native one on LinkedIn has become okay. quite uh, yeah it's, it's become better. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, but it's still it's still top level fluffy. It doesn't give you a whole picture of what's really happening. If you can solve that, man, that, that's a, a home run, man. But I, I know we're coming out. I know we're past the hour, brother. Yeah. I just want to say thank you again, man. Because I, I enjoyed this conversation. I'm like, damn, I wish we'd had that in the beginning. Because this was really good. This LinkedIn talk. <laughs> look. But uh... <laughs> yeah, you, you know how
1: conversation goes sometimes. You know, it flows. So, that's you know. It's super nice. Yeah
0: yeah, yeah. yeah, man. But we appreciate you, man. Um, Next time you're in New York, please let us know. We extend our invitation to all of our guests, man. We'd love to go to a restaurant, continue the conversation, man. anything that we could help you with, you know how friends on on this side of the pond, brother, that that are active in the B2B space. And and we're rooting for you, man, for sure.
2: You probably know the the good places in uh, New York to to go to as well.
0: Oh, you you missed it. We we took Kelly. You you missed it, man. We we came there
2: ready for you. (laughs) Listen, we were
0: looking for you to make sure you had a good time before Uh, you left.
1: Yeah, we had a great time. We had a great time. Yeah, well, shout out like to and Hot, hot Jar. We're going to um we're going to start the group chat with me, you and Jared. That way, again, we don't we won't miss each other next time. If you're going to come in, you just let us know, hey, flying in this guys, you know what's your schedule and we can definitely make sure that we uh we link up and 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 we have a and we you know, we show you a good time how we do it over here. That's <laughs> it. Wonderful. You know what I mean?
0: Wonderful. Yeah. Yes, cool. and I'm, I'm putting a number in the group chat. You can put yours in the private chat yeah Stephen, that'd be, be that'd great be man good. just texas but for everybody listening man thank you again for another episode of more than Title. Stephen, where can they reach you at man
2: uh linkedin.com and then, uh, <laughs> <on> LinkedIn, <yeah. laughs>
0: look at his name go to linkedin and he'll yeah. connect with you guys please make sure you support dreamdata.io if you're a b2b brand looking for attribution please take a look you know please support um we've got another episode this week with shannon holmes Best selling author, be more careful. And next week we've got a lot of in-person, we got a lot of new content for you guys. So make sure you continue to support more than a title. Uh and chat, what you want to take us home with? What, what we want to do? You wanna say something else? Nah, man. Listen, it was a great show, Steven. We enjoyed you being
1: on here. Uh, this is definitely I'm telling you right now, this is definitely the first uh conversation of many that needs to be had because you got a lot of information, and I think because you're in that niche uh platform, man, we have to continue this conversation, you know. <laughs> and uh listen, I look forward to us uh you know, having another conversation and meeting up again, man. It's more than a title. You know what it is. We we dropped some more gems on y'all today. Let's do more it. Gyms. Thanks for the invitation. Guys. More gems and more gems.
0: Let's get it, man. See you guys. Let's do it more than a title. Oh.